to the uh, Gospel of Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew 22. And we started a series last week called Three-Dimensional Living. Three-Dimensional Living. And we're going we're gonna to be on this for a little bit. Um, Matthew 22, let's, let's look at verse 37. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Let's read it together. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. That's a, and that is a profound statement. That very last verse I read to you, verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Now, that doesn't carry as much significance for us today, or, or I should say it this way, it doesn't make an impact on us today as I believe it, it would have made on those hearing Jesus say these words for the first time. Because we're not Jews, and we never lived under that Judaic sacrificial system. And I think in our Western culture, in our nice, air-conditioned, uh, clean, modern churches, we don't really fully understand what took place in the temple on a regular basis. So under this sacrificial system, not just once a year, I mean, once a year, the high priest would go behind into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood of sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Can you imagine after several hundred years of sprinkling, can you imagine what that thing must have looked like? No one took Windex in there and, and shined it up after they sprinkled blood on it. Once a year. But now think about this. You just go through the Old Testament and you look at the various sacrifices that were required to be offered for, for, for all kinds of things. From the most, I mean, you accidentally do something, you you. you break a law, become unclean, or you on purpose do something. and I mean, there was a continuous flow of blood in that temple. That was a bloody place. There was sacrifice being offered all the time for the atonement of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We see the very first sacrifice for sin in the book of Genesis when it says God would not allow Adam and Eve to cover themselves with fig leaves. That's what they did. They, their eyes were open. They fell from grace. They Sin entered in, and they realized they were naked. And the very first thing they did was try to cover up their sin. And they run to the bushes, and they take fig leaves, the Bible says. And they, they sew them together, weave them together, and make a covering. God says, no, you cannot cover 
your own sin. You are incapable of covering your sin. So God, what did God do? The Bible says God made tunics of skin for them. In other words, animals died in order to cover the sinfulness of Adam and Eve. And so thus began God in his grace covering man's sinfulness all the way until we come to Jesus. And what does John the Baptist say? 4,000 years after the creation, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. Not covers. Who takes away. Every lamb, every bull, every turtle dove that was ever offered from the time of Moses to David to Solomon. Where you read at the dedication of the temple, every step they sacrificed a bull until they got the ark to the temple. You know how many cows died that day? A lot. You know how much blood flowed that day? A lot. All of that bleeding, all of that blood, all that sacrifice did nothing but cover our sin temporarily. But when the Lamb of God, every lamb before that spoke of Him, when Jesus came, John says, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so in this verse, on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophet. That is a significant statement. What is this commandment? To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Mark says, all your strength. Three-dimensional living. Jesus modeled relationship in three directions. And he modeled that for us. So the shape of this three-dimensional living is a triangle. And it speaks of the balance between three relationships that Jesus modeled for us. The first is up. It's relation to and intimacy with the Father. This is what Matthew 22, this is what Jesus said. When they came to Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said to love God with all your heart. This speaks of our relationship with the Father. An intimacy, not a casual relationship. God doesn't want a casual relationship. God doesn't just want you to know about him. He doesn't want you to know him as some distant being or some distant thing or some distant religion or belief system. God sent his son to die that you could love him. Because apart from that, you can't love God. And you don't love God. God sent his son that you would love him and enter into an intimate relationship with him. We, we call this worship. This is our worship. It's our relationship with the Father. There's another direction that Jesus modeled relationship, and this is in. So he modeled relationship and investment in his core disciples. So if you read in the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus 
had three disciples that he did things with that the other, the other nine did not do. On the Mount of Transfiguration, there were not 12 disciples up there. There were only three, Peter, James, and John. Now, it doesn't mean that God loved Peter, James, and John more than he loved the rest of them. But it's fair to say that Jesus had a different relationship with Peter, James, and John than he did with the other nine. And it certainly was different than it was with the 70, the other 70. You read in the Gospels where Jesus sends out 70 disciples. Then on the day of Pentecost, we see there were 120 disciples in the upper room that came down when the Holy Spirit fell. These aren't levels of love that God has for different people. But it does speak of the difference in relationship. I'm telling you what, God loves every one of us here today. He doesn't love me more because I'm a pastor. I promise you that. He loves every one of us. In your heart, if you desire to love God, that is because God loves you. But it's fair to say God doesn't love any one of us anymore, but, but we may have different relationships with God. So I relate to God differently in some ways as a pastor. Doesn't mean God loves me more. Doesn't even mean that I love God more. Absolutely not. But here is the bottom line. God wants all of us, whether we're pastors, whether we're plumbers, doesn't matter what we are, God wants all of us to enter into a deep and abiding relationship with him. And, and in that, there should be a deep and abiding relationship that we have with one another. We, we see this in families. So we are all commanded to love as Jesus loved us. But it's fair to say, if you think about husbands, wives, and children, there's a different relationship there that husbands, wives, and children have than you might have with your neighbor next door. Though you're commanded to love your neighbor, the relationship's not the same, is it? It's not. So Jesus modeled relationship up, relation to and intimacy with the Father. That's our worship. He modeled, he modeled relationship in. That's relationship to and investment in his core disciples. That's what we call discipleship. And the third direction is out, three-dimensional living. Dimensions speak of a direction, a measurement in a certain direction. And the third is out, relationship to and an engagement with the world the lost world. Jesus invested in his disciples. He didn't forsake the world. He engaged the world around him, but he didn't have the same relationship with the world that he had with his disciples. But there's a balance that the scripture calls us into, that we live in these relationships in a balanced way, that we have a relationship with the Father, that we have a relationship with one another in the community of believers, but 
but we also have a relationship and we engage the lost world around us. Now, the church has focused a whole lot on the up and the in to the exclusion of the out. And we have developed systems and methods of trying to coax the world out there to come in here. But if we would honestly read our Bibles and understand and look at the model that Jesus gives us, that's not what we're commanded to do at all. And that's what, this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we must come to realize, not here, but I'm telling you right now, you need to get a revelation in your spirit of what you are called to be and what you are called to do and how you are called to live and how you are called to function and how the church as a whole is called to function and to live. So up, in, and out, all three directions are centered in our relationship with the Father. So none of these, it's not that we just have one direction that deals with our relationship with the Father. Listen, it's all centered in our relationship with God. I can't, and we're going to talk in depth about this, but there's no way I can love you if I don't have a relationship with the Father. And I certainly won't be able to engage the world in a proper way and love the world if I, if I don't have a relationship with the Father. So everything is centered in this relationship with the Father through Christ. And we do not have a relationship with the Father apart from Christ. Impossible. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, through me, in me. You have no relationship with the Father apart from Christ. If you're not in Christ, you have no relationship with the Father. And so this is all centered in the fact that Jesus Christ, the reality that He is Lord, and that He is the only Savior, that He is the only way. Amen? That means that any direction I go from, if I go up, if I go out, if I go in, keeping these things in balance, I'm deepening my relationship with God while fulfilling the mission he's given to each of us as his church. Now, you guys get this. Church is not this building. We call this a church, but the reality, the only reason we call this a church is because this is where the church meets. That's why this table, that bread and that cup is so important because it doesn't speak of a building, it speaks of a body. We remember the body of Christ because it reminds us what we are part of. It reminds us the life we've been brought into and joined to. It reminds us what sustains us. It reminds us what gives us unity. We're not unified because we all go to Christ's fellowship. We're not unified because we belong to a certain denomination. We're not all unified because I believe this part of the Bible and and you only believe. No, we're unified because we're in Christ. Because Christ did what he did for all of us to bring us into fellowship and union and unity with him. When you are born again, what really happens is you're brought into union with Christ. When you're born again, you're not just given a ticket to heaven. What really happens is you are delivered from yourself, from your death and your darkness, and you are joined to the life of the Son, and you now become one with him. This is, this is what I take my couples through in, in premarital counseling. 
I just finished premarital counseling and I just started another set of premarital counseling. And we talk in depth about this. This is the mystery Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 and he says, he, he gives us the commentary on what Genesis 2.23 is all about. 2.23 and 2.24, when Adam wakes from his death-like sleep and he sees woman there, he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is woman. And the two shall be joined to become one flesh. Paul says, Paul quotes that in Ephesians 5. And he says, this is a mystery. But I speak of Christ in the church. The mystery is not Christ in the church. The mystery is man and woman coming together and being one. That's the mystery. It's the mystery. It's the hidden thing that's been revealed that since day one when God created Adam and created Eve, that this relationship between man and woman has been declaring something. We just didn't really know what it was. And the declaration of that was made known when Jesus came in the fullness of time when God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us from the law. When God sent Jesus, the mystery was unveiled and we understand what this is really about. This is what Paul's saying. The mystery is not Christ in the church. The mystery is this earthly relationship that speaks of, that was a foreshadowing, that was a foretelling of what God's eternal plan and purpose was all along, to redeem for himself a people and join them in his son that he could be reconciled to them in one body. So the key is to keep these three dimensions in balance as they represent the dimensions of our life together. Our life together in one body flows in these directions, up in our relation with the Father, in in our relation to one another, out in our relation and our engagement to the world. It's how we were created to function And so, mission, listen, because this is really what I'm talking to you about, is our mission. Not just a statement on a banner on the back wall, but what God created us for, what God put us on this earth for. What God created this earth for, as a matter of fact, why God sent His Son, what our mission is. We've reduced mission to people who live in foreign countries and, and evangelize other people. No. Mission, listen, mission must no longer be considered a job of the professional or done through events. Mission, are you listening? Mission must no longer be considered the job of the professional. So, well, I'm not a missionary. God hasn't called me to be a missionary. Oh, yes, he has. He absolutely has. And you are a missionary whether you know it or not. You just might not be doing your mission because you don't know what it is. And you didn't know that God actually called you to be that. It's not events we do once, twice, three, six times a year, and we say, oh, we had a mission event. No. Mm -mm. That's That's not mission. Or it's not giving money to others so that they can go do missions in other countries. That's not that's not what our mission is. Now, we might do all of those things, but if that's what we think mission is, then we, we, we've totally and completely missed. And so this is where we've got to come back, and we've got to let this right here define 
everything for us so that we will understand what we've been called to, so that we can properly understand what Jesus modeled for us when he modeled a relationship to the Father, when he modeled a relationship to his disciples, when he modeled a relationship and engagement to the world around him. So listen, this is an important thing I'm fixing to tell you. Mission must, capital M-U-S-T, mission must become our lifestyle. Are you listening? And our city must, all caps, must, and our city must become our mission field. Mission must become our lifestyle. Sunday morning, where we are right now, doing what we're doing, this is part of mission, but this is not our mission. We built a system in Western culture that everything revolves around the church and the church service and what happens in the church. And we've misunderstood what church is. We've misunderstood what mission is. And so what do we do? We've got to go back and we've got to let the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, break the paradigms that we've come to, that have come to be ingrained in us. And we've got to let him break those so that we can now begin to live our mission. So that mission becomes a lifestyle. This is how we're going to win the loss. This is how we're going to see the loss come into the kingdom. This is how we're going to transform our communities. Listen, when they said of the Christians, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also, they weren't talking about those who had perfected synagogue worship and they had such great things going on and they've got a mega synagogue now. No, and all the people are going to the mega synagogue. No. How did they get the reputation that they had turned the world upside down because they would go into cities and they would go into areas and they would go into villages and they would touch the lives of people, everyday people, in the market, in the workplace, in families, in homes, anywhere and everywhere they went. And they made those people, they made that market square, they made that neighborhood, they made that city, they made that village, their mission, and they went and they permeated, they were like salt. Listen, how many of you cook? Okay. When you put salt in the dish that you're cooking, what does that, where does that salt go in that dish? I mean, do you, do you get that and say, man, I hope I get the bite that has the salt in it? Dad, gummit, I didn't get the bite that had the salt in it again. Maybe I'll get lucky next time. No, when you put salt in a dish, what's it do? It permeates the entire dish. It makes the whole dish salty. If, if this is the only salt we got in our community is in our buildings on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or the special events or the things we do, if that's the only salt we got, no wonder we haven't transformed our communities. But if we understand that we're to be like salt that's sprinkled and we permeate every area of life that we touch, 
Ah, now then we're going to begin to see transformation. See, we're waiting for God to do some big thing. We keep waiting and prophesying and talking about this big thing God's going to do. I'm going to tell you right now, God's already done the big thing. It was Jesus dying on the cross, resurrecting from the dead. Fifty days later, he poured out his spirit on all flesh. He's done the big thing. Now, I'm not saying there aren't big things that God does, but if we go around waiting for the big thing to happen, we'll never see our communities transformed. Because it's not in the big things. Where do we get that? The Bible says it's in the small things. It's the small foxes that spoil the vine. Or we could say it like this. If it's the small foxes that spoil the vine, it's also the small things that make the vine. Or if you're faithful over the small things, God will make you what? Master over great things. We're waiting for the great thing to come, and we've been unfaithful in the small things. Listen, let's start being salt. Let's just begin to permeate. You don't have to go to Ethiopia or Mexico. If God calls you to do that, you be obedient and you go. I'm believing God that I'm going to get to go again. Well, I've never been to Ethiopia, but I hope I get to go. I don't know, maybe I won't. But you know what? That's not my mission. My mission is right here. God hasn't called me to be salt in Ethiopia. He's called me to be salt right here. Do you realize that, that we live in one of the top five mission fields in the world now? See, and as Americans, we don't understand this. We don't really have a clue what's happened to our nation. But now there are people coming from all over the world to, 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 to evangelize, to be salt and light in, in America. Why? Because we live in one of the top five mission fields on planet Earth. We do not live in a Christian culture any longer. We have not for decades. The comment was made that the ball fields were full today on Sunday morning, and we, we marvel at that. Why are they having baseball on Sunday morning? Don't they know they're supposed to be in church on Sunday morning? No, they don't. They don't know that. You know why? Because that's not the culture they live in. 50 years ago, we wouldn't have had ball fields full on Sunday morning. Everybody would have been in church. And we're still thinking, well, that's the way it ought to be. Well, maybe that's the way it ought to be, but honey, that ain't the way it is. And if we keep thinking about the way it ought to be, we're not going to ever get down to the business of doing what we need to do to change it, to transform it. They're just living life the only way they know how to live life. And that is... The fact that we can't discern that tells me that we are not, we're living in a Christian bubble and we think everybody else ought to be in the bubble with us. Well, listen, I want them to be in the kingdom with us, but I want to pop the bubble because the bubble's not good. Because the bubble is keeping me from discerning what's really happening out there. And if we'll pop the bubble and we'll begin to discern really what's happening and understand and go back to Jesus and see how Jesus with salt and light and impacted the world he walked in, and he's called us to be salt and light and impact the world we walk in. Listen, it, I'm not saying it's easy, it's hard, but it's not complicated. We've made it very complicated. And it's really not complicated. It is hard. It's hard to go into a culture that's foreign to you, and, and let's face it, I was born and raised in Texas, okay? Okay which is almost like being born and raised in a foreign country if, if you know, you go to other parts of the 48 or the 50, right? But listen, we're all, here we are in America, 
But what we need to discern as, as Christians who happen to live in America, our culture, who we are, who we're called to be, is, is far different than the culture we live in called America. The good thing about that is, is it's much easier now because there, is, there should be a much more distinction between true Christian culture, true Christianity, and, and what has been traditionally defined as American culture. Most of the world's equated Christianity with guess who? America. Oh, you're from America, you must be a Christian. That's not true any longer. But that's the way we still think. So how are we going to reach our culture? How are we going to reach our community? If we don't start modeling this and living this, that we see ourselves in this way, that this is our mission, our mission is... is is to, has got to become our lifestyle. And this is our mission field. Our mission field is outside these doors. You live in one of the greatest... There are people fighting to get here. There are missionaries right now in other parts of the world who are believing God to come to America to evangelize this heathen nation. And here we are, the church, living here, and we don't even realize that it needs to be evangelized. Well, I know that in a sense we do, but, but we need to understand this in a deeper way. What are you willing to do to be a missionary to the culture God has put you in? I mean, we, we would have a lot easier time answering that if we knew that God was going to send us to China or send us to India. Boy, we'd be preparing, we'd be studying the culture, we'd be getting ready to be immersed in this culture. But, but hey, I got news for you. God sent you to America. <laughs> he sent you to Taylor, Texas. He sent you to East Williamson County. He sent you to Central Texas, Williamson County, wherever you live, whether you live in Round Rock or Taylor. I don't, he sent you where you, this is your mission field. Do you see it that way? When you go to work every day, do you see your work as a mission field and the people you work with as those that God has called you to, to touch, to be salt and light to? We, we need to learn how to do that, not in an obnoxious way. See, when we talk like that, we think, though, you know, I need to have my pocket stuffed full of tracts and I need to have my scriptures memorized and I need to be able to sit there. No, that's not what I'm talking about. You need, to, you need to study to show yourself approved in the Word of God when God opens that opportunity for you to talk to that person about the Scripture. But you know what? It might just be being a diligent and faithful worker. It might be the first witness you might give is the guy that comes up and says, you know, most of the people we hire here, they're just lazy bums. Man, you work. How do we touch our culture? So mission must become our lifestyle. We need to be willing to form around a missional vision. Christ Fellowship needs to form around a missional vision. How are we going to touch our community? How are we going to go into our community? How are we going to... Look, look, think of it this way. This is the salt shaker. Think of this building as the salt shaker, Okay. How are we going to leave the salt shaker and go into the pot that God wants to salt with us? We don't bring the food into the salt shaker. The salt is poured out of the shaker and goes into what it is supposed to be seasoning. 
We're to go into the earth, the earth around us, the city around us, the neighborhood around you, the four or five houses maybe around. I don't know. Pour yourself out there and let God salt. We need a vision to reach a group, a neighborhood, an area, ultimately our community. How do we live this mission out? In three dimensions. Up, our relationship to the Father. In, our relationship to one another. And out, our relationship to the world around us. So we need to be willing to sacrifice those things that would rob us of our ability to be on mission. Now, let's just pretend for a moment that God had called you to be a missionary in a foreign country. And you said, okay, God, I accept the call. What would you have to sacrifice in order to make that happen? Do you have a job that you would have to leave? Maybe so. Do you have uh, things that you're involved in on a regular basis that you would have to leave? Yeah. Do you have things that you'd have to lay down, let go of, give away, get rid of, in order for you to go and fulfill the call of God in that mission field? Yes. Would Would you think anything about that? Absolutely not. It's what I have to do to fulfill my call as a missionary. But if I tell you that this is your mission field, that you should you tailor Texas the exact same way as you would going to China or India or Ethiopia or Mexico or any other place, you, you have a hard time with that. You, you won't look at it that way. Why is that? Is this not a valid mission field? Has God not, has God not called you to be salt in this community? to be a missionary in this community? Why do we think missionaries are only people that live in foreign countries who, who, who do extraordinary things, make extraordinary sacrifice? What about you? They're ordinary people who have purpose to live sacrificially for the call of God. Are we exempt from that just because we live in America? Are we exempt from that just because we live in Taylor? Are we exempt from... Being ordinary, who's not an ordinary person here? Anybody? Can we all agree that we're all ordinary people? I know you're not ordinary, Tori, but we're all ordinary people, right? I know there's different levels, or there's a there's a long, there's a big boundaries there. But within this big boundary, we're all ordinary people, right? Why are we exempt from sacrificing? certain things in order to fulfill God's mission here. I'm trying to get you to look at what you're called to do in a different way. And and really, what has to happen is God has got to give you a revelation by the Spirit. You've got to catch this. I can't teach this to you. I can tell it to you, but I can't teach it to you. Or I can't make you catch this. We need to be willing to sacrifice those things that would rob us of our ability to be on mission. And we must reprioritize and reevaluate the things we are committed to in order to make sure they are consistent with 
the mission. Our mentality must shift as we come to realize that church is not about what I can get out of it on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or any other time. Church is not about what we get out of it. We're the salt shaker, and we're to be salt poured out into our community so that we salt it. We're light that's supposed to be emitting from the source, who is Christ, shining into the darkness, not hidden in these four walls. If we don't realize this, if this doesn't become a reality, then we're never going to fulfill our mission. Now, I'm going to make a statement. Jesus did not call us to build his church. Do you realize that? Jesus did not call us to build his church. I know we talk about building his church and doing all this, but if if we really want to be honest, nowhere does Jesus say, hey, you guys build my church. Nowhere in the scripture is that communicated though we kind of by default think that's what we're supposed to be doing. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. It's actually kind of arrogant to think that we can build the church. I've been there. Listen, I've said that. I've probably preached it and taught it erroneously. I confess my error to you this morning. If I've ever said to you or taught you that we are to build the church, I confess my error. Because we're not called to build the church. Matthew 16, verse 18, And I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Who's talking there? Jesus. Who's going to build the church? Jesus is going to build the church. What did Jesus tell us to do? He didn't tell us to build the church. He told us to go and make disciples. It's Jesus who's building the church. Now go to Matthew 28. 18. From Matthew 16, 18, go to Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Do you see the word go? It's an action verb. All my English majors here understand the difference between a verb and a noun. An action verb. Go. Listen, God forbid that a fire should erupt somewhere. And all of a sudden, we become aware of the fire. You guys just sit there. And all of a sudden, out of urgency and desperation, I said, go! What would you guys do? You'd get up and you'd go. So go means what? means Go! means get up and go. doesn't say sit and wait. It means go. 
the salt must go from the salt shaker into the food to salt it. The salt must go into the earth to salt it. We're going to have to go to do what Jesus commanded us to do. Do you believe this, that if we do what Jesus told us to do, he will build his church? Well, I believe this. Even if I don't do what Jesus told me to do, he's still going to build his church. Woe unto me, though. Jesus said, I will build my church. Then the last thing he told his disciples before he ascended was this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That is significant. Because Jesus commands us to go in what? He commands us to go in authority. A law enforcement officer puts on a uniform, puts on his badge, and he goes out every day representing the authority that sent him out. Jesus didn't send us out without any authority. He sent us out with all authority, and he was very clear in what he commanded us to do. Go and make disciples. So Jesus didn't call us to build his church. He told us to go and make disciples. We're commanded to make disciples. That is our immediate mission on earth. I posted this. If we spend all of our time trying to do ministry, we may and probably will miss our mission. But if we will be faithful to the mission, we will not be able to avoid doing ministry. The Western church has become program-driven to the point that it has crippled it. And the decline is staggering. I'm going to a conference at the end of this week that is all about, listen, the focus has come to North America. The focus has come to America. This nation that sent out more Bibles, more light to the rest of the world has fallen into decline, and she is not a Christian nation. She doesn't have a Christian culture. Forget what our heritage is. That doesn't matter. Because no one knows anymore. And, and the point is not to restore our heritage as a nation. The point is that be, we be restored back to this truth, to Jesus Christ. If we do that, everything else will take care of itself. Nations will rule themselves correctly. They'll live the way they're supposed to live, function the way they're supposed to. The focus has got to be this in returning to the mission that Jesus Christ gave us. Getting excited now. Amen? This is what we're commanded to do. So, you've got to understand, you, every one of you are missionaries. Missionaries are not professionals who do professional ministry. The ministry was never meant to be done by professionals. Listen, we have people that have different callings. 
This is my vocation. It's not everybody's vocation. But that doesn't mean I'm called more to do ministry or to be on mission more than you are. We're all called to be on mission. I just have a different function within that. My, my responsibility is to equip you for the work of ministry or for the mission, to accomplish the mission. The mission's not in here. The mission is out there. Look, if everybody that's in this building this morning would catch this reality, this truth, and would begin to cry out from the depths of their heart that God would use them to accomplish his mission. If you would have a desire to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you, you begin to just cry out from your heart that, that God would use you to be salt and light in the... Not to do big things, just to do little things. Just, if we would just purpose to do little things. Don't, don't try to do big things. Just do little things. Be faithful to do little things. If we, if all of us here were faithful to do just one little thing, can you, I'm telling you, the, the difference we could make in this community would be staggering. But if you don't see yourself as a missionary, and you don't see this community, where you live, where you work, where you play, where you shop, if you don't see that as your mission field, Listen, if we all were transported to be missionaries to China, we'd have to live in China, shop in China, work in China, uh, interact with our Chinese neighbors. We'd have to do all of that, especially if we're missionaries, right? Because that's what I'm there for, to, to, to win the people to Christ. Well, what are you here for? What am I here for? Why do we exist as a church in this place? Is it not to see the lost one to Christ? So here's my prayer for you, that God would open the eyes of your understanding, open your heart, open your mind. And you would begin to see yourself as the missionary that you are to this place, to this community. That you would pray this dangerous prayer and say, God, what would you have me do? What can I change? What... Lord, I'm inviting you to change me in any way you see fit to make me more effective as a missionary to reach my community. You know, the first order of business might be that, that you need to deal with this relationship with you and the Father. Because we'll never reach the world if, if we don't have a relationship with the Father or if we don't know how to relate to one another. So two things I want to leave you with, and we're going to pray. Mission must become our lifestyle. In our city, our communities, our neighborhoods, must become our mission field. And we need to approach it exactly like we would as if we were being sent over to halfway around the world to be, to be a missionary to a foreign land. I challenge you to begin to live that way right where you are right now. The second thing is this. Jesus didn't call us to build his church. He called us, indeed, he commanded us 
to go and make disciples. And he has given us the authority to do that, and he has given us the power necessary. If you're a born-again child of God, you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. Christ lives in you by the Spirit of God, and Christ is called the fullness of God. That means if Christ dwells in you, the fullness dwells in you. And whatever you need to accomplish your mission, listen, He will equip you and empower you to do it. You can't heal anybody, but God can heal. And He'll use your hands to affect healing. He'll do that. You can't deliver anybody, but the power of God can. And He can use your hands, your words to deliver those in bondage. This is the power that God's put in us. But what's most important is that we proclaim the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And God knows what a person needs. When we use the term salvation, it speaks of wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. So whatever situation that person is in, listen, when God saves them, he knows what he needs to do with them, whether that's a physical healing, a spiritual deliverance, or whatever. Do you trust that God can and will do that through you if you make yourself available? We say, God's doing all these things in other parts of the world, but he's not doing it here. You know why? Because the church here doesn't live with the attitude that they're missionaries here. They, don't, they, they have a totally different attitude here than they do in other parts of the world. People have geared up to go to other parts of the world to, to live this lifestyle, to, to be a force for God, to be effective for God, but we just sit here apathetically, comfortably in our churches and wait for the big thing to happen that's going to transform our communities. Guess what? You are the big thing. You're a bunch of little things that make one big thing. And God's going to use all of us little things together to bring about transformation. Amen? Let's all stand.